And we're back, and we're live in person. Welcome back to Inside the Labyrinth podcast, powered by Red First Responders. It's been a while, almost a year, but first, I definitely want to thank our sponsors, Ice Shaker and Arsenal Athletics. Visit IceShaker.com or the Reps website and purchase an Ice Shaker bottle. For every Ice Shaker bottle that's purchased, Red First Responders receive 50% back to our nonprofit. And when you visit Arsenal Athletics, use the code RFR for 10% off all their purchases. Also, we have our reps t-shirts, hoodies, beanies, all that good stuff. And all those purchases go back to uh, our nonprofit. Again, excited to be back. Also, everyone who did Sober October, congratulations. You should be proud of yourselves. And also, we do have a Movember donation campaign running, so reach out to us about that. And here we are. Oh, I don't want to forget about our reps books. All these links are going to be down in the bio, so uh, don't forget about that. Reps book on Amazon, a resiliency guide. 70% of purchases do go back to Red First Responders Nonprofit, and we do thank you all for supporting our mission. So with that, we are back inside the Labyrinth Podcast, Season 6, Episode 4. I am your co-host, one of your co-hosts, Frankie B, back live. And me and Jason were talking about this, said, you know what? Why not? We got to bring this back. We're happy. We're excited. I hope you are too. And without that, without further ado, the one and only, the real Jumpman Jay. <laughs> yeah, we are back uh, inside the labyrinth. Happy to be back here. Um, like I said, well, like Frank was saying, you know, we were talking about bringing it back. And, um, you know, it's been a long time coming, dude. We have... Uh, we started how many years ago? It was like mid-pandemic, right? It was like right in the middle of it. Yeah, right right in the middle of it. We were, we were battling inside that labyrinth, yep. Yeah, so we started like, you know, mid-pandemic. And um, since we started it, I've, so many people have like reached out and just been super grateful for us. And, and um, we're very appreciative of the podcast. And that's why I was kind of like, hey, let's just bring it back. And um, Frankie kind of, you know, Frankie went into the holster and pulled out the big guns. So... Uh, <laughs> We said, all right, well, you know, we'll set it up. We'll do it today. So, uh, you know, me being the narrator of the podcast, I'd like to introduce you guys to Nick Rochetti. Welcome to Inside the Labyrinth Podcast, my brother. Guys, thanks for having me. Yeah, pleasure, man. I, I met you um, via Responder Talk, um, and we've interacted uh, via social media. So it's been um, kind of on my mind to, like, meet you in person because Frank says you have, like, a super awesome story. So uh, I said, fuck it, let's do it. Let's get it done. So uh, we're here. We're at the table. And we're going to get right into it. So, Nick, tell us about your upbringing, like where you grew up, like what your childhood was like. Sure. So I grew up in Morris County, New Jersey. Okay. Um, pretty nuclear family. Mom, dad, uh, together the whole, my whole life. They're still together. Uh, I have an older sister. And they're all, right now, they're currently in Texas. <coughs> um, okay. So growing up, I was an athlete. You know, I played three sports, uh, baseball, soccer, um, basketball. Did all that in high school, uh, got into high school, started concentrating on more baseball, basketball, and then okay. eventually just went to baseball my senior year and ended up getting a scholarship to play ball. Um, awesome. So I played Division two baseball college for a couple of years. Badass. Uh, yeah. Uh, what position? I was a catcher. Okay, So cool, I actually cool. ended up dislocating both my shoulders. So that kind of ended that career. Gotcha. So um, growing up, my man, everything was pretty normal. You know, I did the same stupid shit that most high school kids do, you know, drinking, partying with your friends when you're senior in high school. Trying all that to figure of, out who you were. Yeah, yeah, trying to figure out who I am, you know. Um, the clique and the group of friends that I developed when I was in high school 
we're all still very close. So that's actually pretty cool. You know, I have like a tight knit group of about six to eight guys who I was best friends in high school. Okay. And we're all still best friends. So that's pretty cool that I was able to kind of find that group that I trust and everything. Yeah. And we're all still very tight. Cool. Um, so yeah, went into college, uh, went away, went to school for four years. Okay. Um, got my bachelor's degree in criminal justice. In college, you know, everything, same thing, shit that, you know, normal college kids do. Party on the weekends, you know, grind, do the schoolwork for, you know, Monday through Thursday. Yeah. Thursday night comes, then you start hitting it, going out a little bit. My question is, uh, what, what made you pick criminal justice? So I went in originally undeclared. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, and then I found out that I had to, to test for math. So I was able to test out of math without having to take like any other classes. Yeah. And I was sucked at math. Oh, I'm not math minded, so I'm right there with you, bro. So I think most cops suck at math. <laughs> I did. I did some research and found out that the criminal justice degree didn't require any math class. Oh shit! Okay. So I was like, "It goes bingo." Got to remember those radio codes. That's it. The only <laughs> numbers you're working with. There it is. Yeah. So I picked criminal justice, and I had known a couple people who were trying to be cops at the time. Mm-hmm. So I was just like, you know what? Fuck it. You know, let me go try and be a cop. So, declared criminal justice and went on. Awesome. That's like I think that's the first time I heard somebody say, oh, I kind of sucked at math. So, I was like, let me go for criminal Don't justice. That. That, figure that out. It's kind of funny, the same mindset. I mean, I always want to be a cop, but criminal justice looking at it, I was like, oh, this looks pretty simple. Like, the least amount of work possible to get a job, right? That was my mindset as well. Yeah, yeah I, I don't know. I, I mean, I come from, like, a family of cops, so I think it was uh, my dad would always, like, preach it, right? He'd be like, oh, you know, just take some civil service exams. And, you know, just go to the first one who calls you. But my dad was, like, very adamant about not taking a correction job because he was a correction officer. So he was like, whatever you do, just don't do any kind of correction stuff. You can take anything else but that. So that was, like, his whole thing. Well, the thing was for me, like, when I went into college, I literally had no idea what I wanted to do. So, Mm -hmm. like, I just started narrowing it down. But, like, what was I really not good at? So, like, I wasn't good at math. So, like, taking a business or, like, accounting degree was pretty much out of the question because I was fairly certain that I wouldn't be able to pass the math classes. Yeah. You know, so from there, it was just like, all right, well, there's no math here. I know a couple of people who are trying to be cops. Oh, there's the pension. Oh, they have really good health care. Yeah. Bingo. That usually, that's like the go-to. Like most people who take this job, it's like, you know, we're not taking it to become millionaires, but we're going to get a pension and we're going to get some good medical benefits. Benefits, the pennies. You know, it's all about the benefits and the pension. Is at the end of the day, um, that's what it comes down to, right? If you really think about it. But go ahead, continue. Spin back off. Yeah, and I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, to be a cop, to work in law enforcement, like you have to generally still have a desire to want to help people and do some good in the world. Absolutely. Right? But it's just the, those extra perks are kind of what really give it the green light. Yeah, yeah. You know? I mean, you, ought to, you, you have to make it, like, um, tangible, right? You know, yeah, we want to serve our community. Yeah, we want to give back. But at the same time, we have to be able to take care of ourselves, right? So... I totally get that because I was kind of like on that same, I was in the same space, you know, um, didn't really know what I wanted to do when I got to college. I was kind of trying to figure it out, you know, in the midst of partying and figuring out who I was as a young man, I was like, oh, well, this kind of makes sense. You're telling me I can get in young and get out young. That was another thing that was like very feasible for me. I was like, all right, cool, man. Like, all right, if I get on at 22, I'm out at 42. I said, sign me up. You know, too good so, to be true, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, in Jersey, it's, it was 25. It's 30 now. Okay. But at the time when I got in, it was 25 and done. And I was like, I'll be done by the time I'm 50. Yeah, that's what I'm saying, man. Most guys have to work. 
I know people are still working like 65, <coughs> 70 years old still working. So yeah. the fact that you have that option of getting out at like 55, I mean, that's pretty badass. That, that criminal justice degree, but I want to hit that real quick because uh, I've talked to younger, younger, the younger generation. Like, I don't know if it's a, to me, if it's a scam, but like you, you, I would always, I, one of the, you know, I don't regrets in life, all learning experiences. Right. But you learn a lot of that in the academy, right? The laws. And I don't know how you guys academy experience was, but if you get another degree and let's just say this law enforcement doesn't work out or you want to do something after you may have more of a better chance to get a, you know, a, another another job in a, in a different field you know so like when I, I remember like just when I went through my stuff I was like man that and I, and I got a criminology degree not even criminal justice I went to SUNY Cortland and just to play football and I thought it criminal I thought it was criminal justice and then senior year I raised my hand and the teacher was like yeah criminology and I'm like you know what I thought this was criminal justice we're not learning any learning any laws we're learning all sociology and psychology and a lot of other people raised their hands too and they're like yeah, we thought this was criminal justice too. <laughs> there are no laws, criminology of like why perpetrators do the things they do. So yeah. like it was actually really like cool and it paid off now where my mind is at. But I don't know the criminal justice feel like obviously you don't need that to become a leader. Yeah. I know a lot of people who have degrees and like like I know somebody who was a an accountant. Like they went to school for that. There's a math right there. You yeah, should, you yeah, could have yeah, talked yeah, to like, him and helped you out. Like, <laughs> and I know a couple other guys that have like business degrees. You know. The good thing about like law enforcement is there's all walks of life, you know, people who went to school for something and then they realized when they got out into the workforce that it wasn't for them. So they ended up coming this way. I mean, I, I always that's why I like to pick guys brain as to how they got to, yeah. you know, the law enforcement field. So you kind of went into college with that kind of on your mind. And then so you do your four years, right? You play any sports in college? No, I, oh, baseball, the baseball, yeah, right? Baseball all right. So you did all four years. I played for two years. Two years. And then the shoulder situation. Yep. Okay, cool. Right. So now you're a senior, right? You're getting ready to graduate. What's the next move? So I take the civil service exam. Okay. And I score like fairly well. I score like a 98 point whatever on the exam. Um, so in my head, I'm like, this is going to be great. I'm going to graduate college at 22 and get picked up. Yeah. Right. Well, when I graduate college, all departments in Jersey are laying off guys. Oh. So like, what in year was Jer this? Yeah, this was 2011. 2011, okay. So 2010, Sounds about right. was yep. like pretty bad for law enforcement where there's a lot of layoffs and whatnot. So all these guys that get laid off from civil service departments, they go on what's called a rice list. So Why do they call it the rice list? I have no, no reason? No idea. <laughs> all right. For okay. some reason. But you got rice listed, bro. <laughs> if someone knows why, let us know. So yeah, please, please. They go on this list and then they are pretty much first to get picked up by another civil service department okay. for the guys who take the test. Gotcha. And like the, t the way the civil ser service test works in Jersey, it's like, I believe it's combat vets, vets, and then everybody else. I could be wrong on that, but I believe that's how it kind of goes. Okay. Um, so I score well. I'm thinking I'm going to get picked up, and I don't. I made one mistake when I signed up for the test. So the test that I took, it was for... Police officer, sheriff's officer, but I didn't click the corrections box. Okay. So I didn't open myself up to get picked up by a civil service corrections department in New Jersey. Okay. So I ended up going through the list expires. I don't get hired. Next time the list comes out, I take the test again, score well again. And this time I had checked every box possible to get picked up by. And I end up eventually getting a call uh, by... Sheriff's office in Morris County, and um, 
I get hired them to work in the jail. Okay. So I'm like, all right, here we go. Let's start the law enforcement career. Let's get it. Yeah, let's get it. So I had known a couple of people who worked in the jail. Um, I was coaching baseball at the time. Okay. And uh, one of my players' dads was a sergeant or lieutenant at the time. Picked his brain about it. And, you know, I said, sure. So I took it. Now, now, when you, when you were, like, picking his brain, did he mention, like, I said a lot of people, what I've noticed is when you ask them, they'll tell you, like, the good. Right, but they failed to mention the bad. Did he mention the bad as well? Oh, he mentioned the bad. Okay, good. You know, right. one one major thing was like they were out of contract. Okay, so they didn't have a set contract. Their their top pay wasn't anything to brag about. Yeah, you know, compared to other departments in the state. Mm-hmm. Um, you work in a jail, like you should have a fairly idea that you're going to see some shit, and it's not going to be the most friendly environment, right? Absolutely. So he kind of painted this picture clear for me. You know, you're going to go in there. It's going to be Collusion there, man. Just you know, but it's good that he did that because I think a lot of what happens more often than not is people tell you all the pros, they never tell you the cons, right? But you know, obviously, if you're gonna go work in, in a prison, you're gonna see some things. Yeah, right. but like usually, I like when guys ask me about the job, I tell them like everything, like all the things you see from like the super good to like the lowest of the lows, you know, so they they can kind of gauge it off of what I'm saying. And then be like, all right, well, maybe this might not be for me. Because there's been a couple of people who have reached out to me and been like, oh, well, you know, what do you think about this cop stuff? I said, well, I'm going to tell you all the good and I'm going to tell you all the bad. You, you know, there's a lot of good, but it's, there's an equal amount of bad that you get, you know, because you, you, you go to work and either you're going to do one or two things, right? You're going to laugh, you're going to have a good time, or you're going to see something that's probably going to make you cry or you're going to take home with you. So I'm happy that you, you sat down with this guy and he kind of gave you, hey, man, this is what it's going to be. Like, we're out of contract right now, but you know what? Hey, this is a job. It's job security. So this is what you're going to get yourself into. Yeah. I mean, it's. I, I was using it as a stepping stone. Yeah. Right? Which a lot of people Perfect. do in corrections. Yes. They get the law enforcement, law enforcement experience. You get the experience of working with the not so friendly of the general public. Yeah. Right? Which is typically the kind of people that you don't want to interact with throughout the day if you're a cop. Yes. So you get that experience and then hopefully, you know, you can use everything that you learn, go out to the street and be a good street cop, right? Yeah. So that's kind of what I did. So I got hired in 2014 in the jail. Um, How old are you in 2014? 26. Okay, so still like, still wet behind you. That's still kind of young. In the city, they said the average age is 26 that, that sign up. Really? Yeah. Dude, I was 22 when I was in No, you know what? I was 24. Okay. okay. Oh, so yeah, yeah, yeah. I, mean, I was 23, like, 22, 23, 24. Yeah, so we're, we were basically... <laughs> Super young men, man. If you really think about it on a grand scheme of things, our brains weren't even fully developed. Yeah, weren't fully developed. <laughs> if you really think about that, right? Yeah. So, um, let me ask a question, right? So, like, like you're in the academy, whatever, right? So there is no. So to go work in the jail, there is no academy to start. Really, you go in and you do they just throw you in. I think it's like I forget how many weeks we did of like post training. So it's like an FTO program. It's like an FTO program. You sit in a classroom and they go over all the SOPs and the policies of what the jail is, and you know they highlight the important things of what you should and shouldn't do. Yeah. Don't have sex with inmates. Don't smuggle drugs into inmates. You know? <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> um, don't do all the dumb shit. Don't lose your keys. Don't you know what I mean? Yeah. Like all the the. Important stuff of working inside of jail. The basics. And then you go up for like a week mm-hmm. and you do like your FTO. And then they're like, all right, kid, there you go. So our jail is direct wow. supervision. So it's one on anywhere between like 20 and 60 inmates. Oh, shit. Okay. Yeah. So, so it kind of has you like, like like dorms almost. 
Yeah, so it's like a giant day room. Mm-hmm. You have your desk up in the front, and then along the walls are their rooms. Okay. Just one of you? Yeah. Yeah, I'm about to say, that's hella outnumbered. But okay, continue. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I did that. Start off on swing shift, so you work 7 to 3 for two weeks, and then the next two weeks you rotate, you go 3 to 11. Okay. So I did that for a while, and then I did this thing on midnights, um, which was 11 to 7. Got off midnights, went back to like the swing rotating shift. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in 2016, I got hired by the law enforcement bureau of the sheriff's office. So like the way okay. it works is like there's the corrections bureau and then there's the law enforcement bureau. And they're two separate, you know, entities, right? But they're all under the sheriff's officer umbrella. Okay. So I get picked up by them and then I go through the police academy. Um, go through the police academy, graduate, whatever. And I start, so I started working inside the Superior Courthouse in Morris County. Okay. Bailiff. So be blunt, you know, that's what you are. So I did that for a while. And this is where, like, I wasn't exactly thrilled with my decision to leave the jail and go work in the Law Enforcement Bureau. Yeah. Because I really, like, there was really no purpose when I was working, like, inside the courts. You know, like, you stand there, there's a judge up in front, they go through their, you know, there's civil trials, there's criminal. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, but it was just like so, I went through a, a police academy to, to stand here and do this. Some, yeah. some Judge Judy shit. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, so there was really like no purpose, wasn't exactly. Did you miss happy. the jail though? The one you were a CO in there? Yeah. You'd rather do that than what were you doing there? I, I contemplated and I actually looked into going back. Going back. You know why? It, Nick kind of strikes me as like a purpose driven like man. So I feel like if he's not fulfilling his purpose, then he kind of. He, he, he felt shelved, and I yeah. get it, you know? Like, dude, I did all this training, and I'm just going to be standing here, like, listening to people. I'm good. I need to go back to where the action is. Did I get it. Did, I any, get it. did anything know? ever go down in, in the one you were in bailiff or the court no. officer? Like, when I was, no. <laughs> With no hesitation, he's like, no. Nah. I mean, yeah, like, you tell, like, a defendant to, like, sit down shut up. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, Pretty much, you, like, sit down. Yeah, to be part of like, Or you work in the door, the entrance to, you know, the yeah. courthouse, yeah. and you're sitting there with a wand, wanding people when they ding in the metal detector. Some guys like that, right? So Some right. guys do like that. Yeah. You're right. There are some guys there that are like, you know what? I'm getting paid the same as the street cop who's dealing yeah. with, you know, Joe Schmo out there getting cursed out. I'm getting paid the same. I have the same medical benefits okay, when we retire, okay. and I get the same pension. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You know, so it, it does serve its purpose for That's everybody. Insane. But in our sheriff's office, there were other units to get out to. Okay. Right? That kind of get your mojo going a little bit, right? So, we, you know, we had... The juice the, is flowing. There you go. We had the canine section. We had crime scene. Um, we had, like, service process, which serves, like, civil warrants and evictions and that kind of stuff. Okay. Um, we had, like, the county SWAT team, which is, they call it the CERT team. And then we had uh, the warrant section. Okay. So, like... I knew that I wanted to work warrants and I wanted to try and get on cert. Those were like the two like career goals for me. I was going to say you look like a cert guy. Tried. <laughs> so I <laughs> tested a couple of times that I didn't get it. And the last time that I didn't get it, um, I guess I sparked someone's interest and they were like, you know what? You did well in the interview. You handled the rejection well. How would you like to go to warrants? And I was like, yes. You know, and at the time... Uh, a guy who I worked with in the jail was already in warrants. Okay. So I kind of had an idea of like what was going on, what they were doing there. Um, so I was a guest, absolutely. So I accepted and I went in warrants. So our warrants unit, 
We do, they were doing like child support warrants and we do like post-conviction warrants. So like if you're familiar with like drug court at all, um, guys should get sentenced to drug court. When they violate their probation, they go on the run, they run from programs, they get caught using or whatever, warrants get issued. And we go out and we find those guys. Yeah, we go out and we pick them up. So how long were you in the jail, uh, the, the court officer side? Like how long did that last? Too long. Um, <laughs> <laughs> maybe a year and a half. So a year and a half. And what about in, as a CO? As a CO from October 14 to January 16. So a little less than a year and a half, a year and a quarter. So, that, so then you had like two and a half years before the, when you became, you know, when you got into warrants, right? Right, yeah. Okay. So you get into warrants and... So I get into warrants and I like, I love it. You right. know, we're playing clothes. You work in partners. Um, you get the take-home car. You have a lot of freedom as long as you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. You know, me and my partner, we worked well together. We, you know, we got our work done. We were productive. Um, we were pretty tight-knit unit. Mm-hmm. You know, so it was in, just like, find this YouTube, just here's this dude, here's the, the iCard or the paperwork, find him get, and yep. that's it. You each get, you, you each have your caseload. You guys work your cases, you do your homework before and then you kind of just talk and you're like, all right, today we're going to be in this area. Do you have anything over there? Look it up. Yes, we'll do this. Or you spend more time on one individual than the other based on the priority of their case. Yeah. You know, whether it involves, you know, staking out, sitting out, waiting for people, whatever. Um, so that's how that kind of worked out. So did that for a while, liked it. Um, I think I'd like to say I was pretty liked in the unit. Okay. Um, and then I ended up eventually getting kicked out. Ah. So what kind of led to that yeah, is, saying, we gotta yeah, get into that. we're going to get into that. So, so when I went to the labyrinth, right yeah, now. we're going to go to the labyrinth. Here's the battle right now. So I spoke about feeling no purpose, right? When I went in, I started, you know, I was working in the courthouse. Mm-hmm. No purpose. So to add to not having a purpose at work, I was alone a lot. So at the time, I was living like an hour away from work because my girl was a nurse down in Philadelphia. Okay. So we had to kind of find a halfway point for each of us. So we were living down in Flemington at the time, and she was working nights. So you can imagine, obviously, I'm alone a lot. I'm bored. I don't feel purpose. So what do you do in all those situations? You're probably going to just go out right yeah and if you're a cop who are the people that are off during the week other cops other cops yeah so i found like a group of people who i was friends with and we all drank you know um and my drinking just got progressively worse and worse and worse i didn't have a drinking issue before i went there i drank don't get me wrong did i binge drink before you know i went up front and didn't feel that purpose yeah yeah there were times but it never caused like any issues or problems in my life. You know, when I started drinking more heavy and been drinking more often, then all the problems started coming. Right. Um, I was pulled over drinking and driving a few times and got let go every single time. Got driven home every time, actually. Shit. Um, the first time it happened, it was like five o'clock. We all went out after work. And I just got way too banged up. Drove home, mind you, like an hour away. <clears throat> Get Ooh. pulled over. Um, and the cop is just like, you can't drive. And I'm like, yeah, I know. So he drives me home. <laughs> and I get home. And my girl's like, where's your car? And I'm just like, oh, fuck. 
So you can imagine how that goes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. we blow up. So then I'm like, I'm done drinking, right? No more of this. The, the famous, I'm done. So I stopped drinking for a little while. Mm-hmm. And then just cycle starts again, right? You start yeah. going out again. I'm alone again, whatever. So I start going out again. How do you, real quick though, about when you got to pulled over the few times, how did that make you feel in regards to, did you feel like you're like, huh, I can kind of get away with this? Do you think that was more of an enabling factor or there was a part, do you kind of, kind of say to yourself like this guy should have just done something else? I call it Superman syndrome. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. like you feel like when I was drinking and like heavily drinking, like no one was ever going to take my keys from me. Mm-hmm. No one was ever going to drive me home. Like I'm a big boy, I'm a man, I can get home. Right. Yeah. And that was like what was instilled in my head. I never could, you know, get rid of that thought. So I would, it was, it was such an enabling factor. That if we could take a survey away. of if, if like somehow if we could ever do it and it's never going to happen, but take a survey of that. And if guys and girls were actually truth, the numbers would probably be scary of how many people thought and feel the same way that, that you did in that yeah. situation. Cause it still happens all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and you look back, it's like, I, I wish that guy wrote me that DUI, you know, yeah. God knows, you know, how different my career, my life would have been had I just gotten that, kicking the ass right away yeah you know or maybe not maybe i would have just completely ignored it and kept doing what i was doing who knows yeah you know you can ask a hundred what is but you never really know yeah so this like cycle continues pretty much through for the next like two three years okay. and with the drinking comes drug use okay um me personally i was messing around with painkillers um the other like group of guys that i was hanging out with going out drinking with um they were using cocaine. Um, so this cycle continues for a little while, right? And you're probably thinking, like, this guy's a cop. He's got a drinking, you know, it sounds like he's got a drinking problem. He's using drugs. You know, like, how do you not realize you have an issue? So I thought that I was doing a good job of, like, controlling the drinking and the drug use. Mm-hmm. Because I never became, like, physically dependent on anything. Okay. Right? Like... I was like, I have a grip on like, okay, use, you know, blues a couple times whenever, stop. You know, I'm not going to be dependent on it. And there'd be times where like I went like, you know, weeks, months without anything. Yeah. Same thing with the drinking. You know, I never became became dependent. Never woke up and was like, I'm shaking. I need a drink to get straight. So I thought like, this is why I didn't think I had a problem. Right. And I thought all the people around me who were telling me like, this is an issue is just exaggerating. Yeah. I remember there was one time. When I came home after getting banged up, we, I banged out of work and went to Six Flags with a couple of people and got banged up. So I get home and my girl is like pleading with me to get help. Really? She's like, you have to stop drinking. Please like see somebody do something. She's in tears. Oh man, yeah. And my response is, fuck you, leave me. I'll never speak to anybody about how I feel. Wow. Yeah. What year, what year was this around? 2019 maybe so when you so when you're talking about the the, the physical part right the, the actual f- physical addiction would you say at that time well looking back on it now maybe we'll hit it maybe i don't want to pull the trigger too quick would, would would you say that you were emotionally addicted i would say i was addicted to the, the chaos ad- the adrenaline the thrill and the chaos yeah of what came from the drinking the driving and the buying drugs. But you're like, also coping with that because you said you felt like that you were alone. 
Yeah. Is that correct? So this all started from the feeling of being alone, not having a sense of purpose. But once I even found my purpose, when I got into a warrants unit and Still I was happy, was like that vote. I couldn't kick it. You know, I describe yeah. it like a, a bad ex-girlfriend, right? Like the, that relationship is toxic. You need to get away from it. But if she comes back, you just accept it. And then yep. the chaos just continues. And that's like literally what was happening in my life. I just couldn't get away from it because like that's what I was addicted to. Like the chaos, the adrenaline rush that came from everything. Yeah. You know, the thrill of like doing something wrong, but getting away with it. Yeah. Anyone else notice it besides her? Or was she the only one that was trying to, you know? She was the only one that was trying to address it. And the drinking was pretty much known to a lot. A lot of people didn't know the extent of the drinking or the binge drinking. Um, the drug use was pretty much hidden from everybody except for, like, those few group of guys who I was doing drugs with. Now, did your girlfriend know that you were taking drugs? No. No? Okay. No. She knew about the drinking. She, she didn't know about the drugs. Gotcha. There was one other person that realized that something was wrong and going on, but never mentioned anything. And I just want to tell this story really quick because uh, there's a purpose to it. So I was helping out one of my buddies. Um, he had asked like a bunch of us to go help him out with something. So I'm the only one that shows up. So I'm helping him out with whatever we need to do. And he's like a big like writer, reader, whatever. So I'm flipping through some paperwork and I see something on his desk. And it's like an exercise. It's like a character building, you know, emotional exercise. Of it's like, you know, write down your goals, write down the people that influence you most, write down the people that are kind of not bringing anything to your life and you should cut off. Oh, shit. So whose name do you think was on there? Yeah. My name, right? So other people may have seen that what I was doing was destructive, was not productive, but nobody really mentioned anything. Do you think now, like, I, I, I mean, damn, bro, that's like crazy. How did you feel when you saw that? In that moment. In oh, that I was, moment. I was crushed, right? Like, I'm like, I'm here helping out like one of my friends. And this, this is, is like a childhood friend. Yeah. And this is like what he thinks. So we ended up having like a big blow up over it. And a couple of weeks go by. When we met it, we hash it out. We speak and, you know, everything is all good. But I, you like look back at things like this and you're just like, I wonder what would have happened if like he had sat me down and like said like, yo, Nick, like what's going on? Like mm -hmm. the X, Y, and Z, this is why I feel this way. Like good. Yeah. That's tough, though, dude, because I, I can only speak off the experience. I had a friend who, who had a drug problem, right? And I remember um, he ended up, like, lose, like resigning, right? Right. So I remember trying to have a conversation with him. He just didn't want to talk about it. So I think it's more of the fear of, like, I got a friend that I grew up with that I don't want to lose. And I know if I bring this up, he's probably not going to want to talk about it. So I'll just like, I'll leave it alone. It's more of the fear of losing the friend. You know what I'm saying? Like for me, it was more like, damn, like I grew up with this kid. I don't want to lose him. Like this is my dude since we're like 10 years old. And, you know, because now as men, we're here, right? If I, if I bring this up to him, he's going to, you know, have an attitude, blow up, probably going to deny it and like not get the help. So what is it? What is me saying anything going to do anyway? I think him writing that, writing it down was like good for him. You know Absolutely. what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. You know, because maybe, you know, him bringing it up to you, that would have led, like, if you didn't see that, 
it would have led to that shit anyway if he just said it to you. So I think he was trying exactly. to mitigate it by writing it down and then being like, all right, cool. Like, I got it off my chest. It's on paper. Because I know for me, like, writing things out sometimes make me feel a lot better. Yeah. And that's why I journal. You know what I'm saying? So I'll write it out, whatever. Oh, I got it off my chest. Cool. Now I can go hang out with Nick and we can just be who we are, you know? Yeah. But it's, I, it's such I a couldn't touchy, imagine, like, reading that shit, it's a dude. Tough and like, to yeah, have, but it's yeah, super right. tough, man. It's such a tough conversation to have. And it, like, happens, it happens in law enforcement all the time, too. Every like, day. You see the guys right that are now, like, you see the guys right who come into work with, like, the flush face, with, you know, they're late all the time, they're banging out all the time. You know, something's up. Yeah. And it just gets, it's ignored. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Rather than trying to address it before shit hits the fan. Fuck. Dude. You know, it's a, it's a very hard and touchy subject. It's the same thing with, like I said before, like getting pulled over. Like when I was a cop, like the one thing I never would have done is jammed up a cop on purpose. Like you probably couldn't have paid me enough to write another cop. Yeah, absolutely. You know, but like when you look back and you're like, well, maybe writing that guy, Maybe saved his life, yeah. saved his career, you know. Yeah. But it's like, how do you, how do you pick and choose? Yeah, you know, it's hard to navigate that. You're it's, right, absolutely. It's so hard to navigate without any, you know, history of the guy. Like, for all you know, this is the first time the guy ever drank, and he, you know, he had four beers, and he's he blows over. Yeah, you know, now you write that guy, and his career's mm-hmm. over. Yeah, it's it's tough. It really is. Yeah. So, all this continues. Um, I have a couple bad incidents. And my worst incident came in January 2020, where I'm out drinking um, with a friend, and I just got like way too banged up, like not even intentionally, and I end up blacking out. Cops get called there, and it's just like not a good situation. Like I'm not cooperative at all. So I call a guy I work with, he comes picks me up. The incident was like really bad, where I was just like an asshole. You know, to not sure. I was a dick. How they didn't lock me up blows my mind. Um, they definitely should have, but they didn't. Mm-hmm. Obviously, this incident gets back to my department. IA gets, you know, drawn up on me. Eventually, I go through the process and uh, I get suspended for five days unpaid. And shortly after I do my suspension, I get kicked out of my unit. Like okay. this whole time, like the incident happened in. January, I didn't get kicked out of my unit until like June or July. Okay, so some time I had yeah, one over. I had known that like eventually I'm getting kicked out. Like yeah, there's no way it's I'm coming gonna, down the pipe. Yeah, eventually I'm getting kicked out. There's no way that I'm not gonna, you know, I'm gonna get my ass smacked for this one, right? Mm-hmm. And I did. Um, I ended up having a meeting with my bosses after the incident because I wanted to apologize for like the way I represented, you know, the department, and they fucking smoked me. Yeah. Oh yeah, they tore into me really good you know you're not tough who do you think you are you're disrespectful you know if if we had this situation back in our day you wouldn't have walked away from that you know just like tearing into me right and i'm just like puckering up my ass right and i'm just like taking it so like i walk out and i'm like really that wasn't so bad you know like i got thick skin like whatever yeah you know so all that goes on two weeks later I get pulled back into their office again. And they're like, give me your badge and gun. You're uh, under investigation by the prosecutor's office. So I'd known that this may have been coming because this happened on like a Tuesday or Wednesday. I got pulled in that Friday before a couple guys who I hung out with got pulled in for random drug tests. So one guy goes in and takes the drug test. The other guy hops on a plane to Florida to go to rehab. 
Like now, like everybody's in like fuck mode, right? Yeah. So then my name gets called and I don't know, like literally, I thought originally I was getting pulled in because I was with the guy who went to rehab like a couple of days before to try and get him to go to rehab. Okay. Um, that's like why I thought, honestly, I, I was getting spent, I was, you know, getting pulled out while I was investigated. So we all get random drug tests or whatever and there's seven of us that get suspended with pay till all this kind of gets settled. Okay. So now I'm in like, holy shit mode, what's going on, right? I have no idea what the extent is of anything. All you hear is like rumors, things going down the, you know, the grapevine of what could happen, what they do know, whatever. Oh, that uncertainty, man. I it's fucking insane, yeah, right? Yeah, it's like the most anxiety, stress-ridden experience ever, yeah. right? So while this is all going on, we're all, you know, the guys who are pulled out, we're all trying to figure out, like, who knows what, what's going on. So finally in September, we all get pulled in the prosecutor's office and they slap us with their evidence, with their discovery packets, and you read through it. And you're like, all right, they got me, right? So it was all through text messages of, you know, somebody who we were friends with. Mm -hmm. And it was just like, boom, one person was popped. And then it was just like, trickle down effect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Shit rolls downhill. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's more to that story, but that's the basis of yeah, it, yeah. right? So they're like, all right, you know, review this with your lawyer. We all lawyered up. We all had our attorneys paid for by the PBA. Um, so they're like, you can plead guilty to a third degree conspiracy to possess um, and take three years probation as the plea uh, deal. Or if you fight the charge, we're going to do the third degree conspiracy to possess. And we're also going to tack on official misconduct as well. Ooh. So if anybody knows anything about official misconduct, you get found guilty in trial. It's five flat yeah. prison. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm like, yeah. all right, I'm not going to do that. Yeah, we, we don't want that. We don't want that. But I was asking, like, is there any way I can lessen this? Yeah. You know, like, what do I got to do? And my attorney comes back and he's like, you have to spill what you know about other people. Ooh. You know, and if you do that, you'll get, it's called PTI, pretrial intervention. Okay. Where, like, you do your probation and then your records wipe clean. So I was like, I can't. It's like, there's no way I could do that. Like, I wouldn't be able to look myself in the mirror every Damn, single day. Bro. So I just pled, you know, I pled guilty. Um, a couple guys got sentenced, uh, were charged with conspiracy to distribute. But that was just because, like, they were the people getting the drugs and, you know, giving it to our circle, right? Okay. There was no, like, real, like, drug dealing going on. There was no, like, ripping off drug dealers. Or yeah, it was just in your little circle. It was an inner circle thing, right? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. All of us having our own separate issues and all doing everything together. So, plead guilty, October 7th. I plead guilty. It is the worst day of my life. I crush so many people in my life. Hmm. My girl, who had no idea about the drug use. Oh, man. Now she finds out. And I tried, like, giving her a heads up, like, this might not end well. So, I'm dealing with that. I have my phone going off the hook of people I grew up with, of my parents' friends, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. My friends who I grew up with, their parents are calling me, asking me if I'm okay. Because you see, like, opiates, right? Painkillers. Like, most people immediately associate that with, like, heroin. So people think I'm, like, off the deep end, like, doing heroin, yeah, yeah, you know. Which wasn't the case, right? Um, but still, you know, I crushed a lot of people. I had a lot of people worried about me. Yeah. 
um, you know, my, my mom, my dad, my sister, you know, everybody. It was just not easy to go through. <clears throat> so I take that. I plead guilty. Now, like, my career's over, right? It's officially over. Agreed to never work, you know, as a public employee again in New Jersey. So, and then in February, the end of February, we finally end up getting sentenced, all of us. Um, and instead of the three years, judge gives me two years probation. Okay. Uh, just because I only had one charge where some of the guys had two or three. So it gives me two years probation. And I just completed that. I'm done with probation now. I got, you know, off early because of, you know, good behavior and doing what I was supposed to do or whatever. Yeah. So all that's finally, the legal stuff is finally all behind me. So once I kind of realized that I'm screwed, right? I'm going to lose it all. I'm not getting out of this alive, right? This is when I kind of started like looking at myself in the mirror and saying, how can I like not let this get any worse? Mm-hmm. Right? Like it's already really, really bad. I got to try and make sure that it doesn't get worse from this point on. Yeah. So this is where I started like kind of looking at myself in the mirror and realizing like my behavior in the past was just like completely unacceptable and toxic and destructive. Okay. So I start like doing some research and looking for help. And even prior to like this, like epiphany or whatever you want to call it of myself, I had one time inquired about what resources were out there for help after one of my incidents, after the incident in January. Mm -hmm. So, and I was just told that, uh, get on a plane and go to Florida for rehab. And I'm like, yeah, it's tough. I'm looking to do not easy to do. I was like, is there anything else around like local that we can do? No, just, you know, we work with so-and-so go down there. Okay. So that thought came and went. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Cause. So now that everything's gone and I need to kind of get everything together, I do work on my own, right? So the first thing I do is I start seeing a therapist. So the first therapist that I went to, I thought sucked. So I went to her twice and that was it. So I go a couple of weeks without the therapist and I'm still drinking and using drugs. So now I'm using those two substances to cope with what's going on. Oh, man, yeah. Right? So I finally reach out to a guy who I got jammed up with and he refers me to his therapist at the time. Okay. So I reach out to her and she's like, yeah, you know, as long as, you know, your friend doesn't have an issue, like there's no conflict, whatever. Yeah, whatever. We're all good. So I start seeing her and I'm like, all right, this chick gets it. You know, she understands like what I'm going through. So I continue to see her. Right. So now like everything kind of starts getting a little better. And while I'm seeing her, the drugs stopped, but the drinking was still there. So what she does is she starts kind of pointing me in the direction of resources that are out there that I wasn't aware of. So like the first one that she puts me onto is Bottles and Badges. So it's like an AA group for cops and all around the country, actually. Okay. So she gives me the Zoom link for the info, and I pop in there. And the first meeting I went to was on was the Tuesday before I pled guilty. So I go into that meeting and I listen to what they're saying and they're all talking about how great sobriety is and recovery and sobriety has given them the, the most wonderful gifts in the world, <laughs> right? My life is so much better because I'm sober. And I'm just like, sure, whatever you say, bro. Right? Yeah. But something sticks because that next day when I plead guilty, you'd think I'd probably go out and have a couple of drinks to get rid of this shit feeling, but I don't. Yeah, yeah. Two days later, I go out with one of my friends and we're talking about the incident, and I have a, I'll never forget this. I ordered a Blue Moon and a shot of Jameson, which was like my go-to. 
So I have like a sip of the blue moon and I'm like, I'm done. This is it. I'm done drinking. So I push the drinks away and, you know, we go on whatever and I don't drink. So then I'm like, all right, well, how do I continue to stop drinking? Yeah. So I find like the 75 hard program that first form Andy Frisella has. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's got like a bunch of different like tasks to do every day. Well, one of the tasks is go 75 days without drinking. Like, all right, well, just let me start this. This is, a, you know, a good start. It's got a bunch of fitness shit in it. I work out. I like working out. And it gives me a reason not to drink. So I start doing the 75 hard. Well, I fail a bunch of times at all the other, you know, daily tasks. But the one task that I do every single day is not drink. drink. That's a win. Right. You got to take your victories where you can. Absolutely. So now I'm feeling pretty good. And I continue to go back to the Bottles and Badger meeting every Tuesday. Okay. So now, like, what they're saying about, like, how great sobriety and life is, I'm starting to kind of feel it. Yeah. Right? Because when you stop drinking, you just feel better. You know, you start to look better. Like, I was looking back at pictures of when I was drinking. And I'm either, like, I call it skinny fat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or just, like, bloated as hell. Yeah. And I'm just like, holy shit. Like, I looked awful. It's crazy you don't realize it until you look back at photos like that, right? And then I'm, like, looking at pictures of myself now, and I'm like, the biggest, you know, the only variable in what I was doing was alcohol. Yeah. And I look considerably better and healthier. You know? I was just like, oh, my God. Right? So I start buying into all this sobriety talk. Yeah. And I'm still seeing the therapist. So I have, like, two weekly forms of... You know, recovery, treatment, whatever you want to call it every week. All right. So now my sentencing date is coming up and all like that anxiety, the fear, knowing, all right, I'm going to be back in the paper because we were in the paper. I'm going to be back in the paper again. It's all going to come up again. What do I do right now? Like, I feel like I need more. So kind of leading up to this, again, my therapist refers me to another resource, Frank, Reps for Responders. She explains what it is. I look them up. I'm already following them on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Paid no attention to them because I didn't really know what they were. <laughs> <laughs> I thought they were just, I clicked yeah. the follow button and I thought it was another cop fitness account. Right. We, we yeah. appreciate you. <laughs> <laughs> so I reach out to Frank because you need to reach out and you need to identify yourself who, who you are yeah. before you pop into the meeting. So I DM him and I kind of give him a spiel and I go, yo, just so you know, I'm not a cop anymore. Yeah. I was a cop. This is why I'm not. And I'll never forget Frank's response to me. He goes, you're good. In my mind, you just retired early. And I'm like. Great answer, Frankie. Good answer. Good answer. Right? Yeah. I'm hooked. Right? So I go into the meetings. And the meetings are about, you know, there's some recovery talk and, you know, AA talk. But there's also a bunch of fitness talk. And just in general, like mental health, physical health, wellness talk. So I'm like hooked now. Right. And again, I just start buying in more and more and more yeah. to this whole sobriety AA kind of thing. And this just kind of continues on. Right. And as I stay sober, the longer I'm sober, the more I see that things are getting better for me. Mm-hmm. You know, things in the personal life are going better. I'm trying to, you know, mending all the relationships that I kind of had shattered. Yeah. You know, things are starting to get better. Um, but now I'm like career-wise, what do I do? Yeah, yeah. Right? 
Now, now like with with the whole like career situation, right? Um, like what was going through your mind as far as that? Like because I know, like being a cop has such a dominating force on like your life, right? So when you find out you can't do that anymore, like what was the like what was going through your head? Like what like what was the next move as far as like employment? Honestly, I was very very lucky. So when I get jammed up and I see the ready on the wall that I'm not going to become a cop anymore. I had a friend who is part owner in a moving company. Okay. So I reach out to him and I'm like, I need some work. Mm -hmm. He's like, okay. And I kind of like explain what is going to happen eventually. And he's like, all right, come work here. Like be a foreman, be a driver for a moving company. I still do it. Yeah. So like I started there and it was putting money in my pocket. My pay was probably more because once you add up your pension deduction, your healthcare and all that kind of stuff, you're not really walking away a whole lot as a cop. Yeah, yeah, So, yeah. like, I was still paying my bills, putting money away. I was, you know, working for the moving company. So I was very fortunate to, like, get a job right away. Like, I yeah. didn't skip a beat in terms of financial employment, yeah. employment financial yeah. stability, right? Gotcha. But I'm like, I can't be a foreman in a moving company forever. Forever, yeah. You know, so what do I do? So I start applying to, like, labor unions. So first one I try and get into is the pipe fitters union. Go through the interview process. I don't get it. All right, so the next one that I go for is the Iron Workers Union. All right, and this happened this year. So I test for the Iron Workers Union um, in the beginning of 2022 this year. Got a buddy who's in there. He kind of gives me a little bit of lay down of like what the work is like and whatever. Again, pension, medical benefits. They make a good buck. You earn it, but yeah, you yeah, make yeah. a good buck. They make great money, yeah. Right. So I'm like, all right, let me go through with this. So I go through the whole process and I get it. I'm accepted into their apprenticeship program. While I'm going through the process, I'm also thinking of other career things that I would like to do. Mm -hmm. One of them is go back to school. So while I'm in the process of this, I apply to Rutgers grad school program uh, for their rehabilitation counseling mental health track program. So I get both. I get into grad school and I get accepted into the apprenticeship. And I never thought that that was going to happen. I either thought I was going to be denied from grad school or just not the, the apprenticeship. And that way I have a backup, right? Which one I could choose mm -hmm. and not have to pick getting into both. Well, I got into both. So I spent like two weeks trying to figure out which one to do. Weighing the pros and cons. Do I take the you know, stability of the union, take, you know, all the good things that attract me to be in the cop, the, the medical, the pension, the pay, you know, do I go back to that or do I try and fulfill the purpose, you know, of feeling good? Because what got me into the idea of going back to school for counseling and therapy was being a part of reps. So like the more I bought into reps and the more I was interested, I started taking on more of like a role of being like part of the reps team. Yeah, yeah. So I was able to like tell my story to other first responders about what I went through, what's going on now and try and make a difference and try and help those guys out because I didn't necessarily have anybody to help me out before things got too bad. Yeah. You know, so like that purpose kind of starts coming back, you know, like I remember like I brought a cop to detox one time, you know, to try and help him out. So like all like the, you feel the purpose again, you feel good about what you're doing. So it's like, do I take the stability or do I go for the purpose? And I'm like, well, when I didn't have a purpose, things didn't work out very good for me. Yeah. 
right? And like when you think about like unions and stuff like that, like it's kind of like the same as like the law enforcement world. It's very clicky. There's a lot of drinking behind it. It's very like locker room environment. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I'm like, that didn't work out well for me. Let me go to school. Let me go try and fulfill the purpose aspect of my life. Um, let me grind. You know, I'm lucky I have a job and everything like that. I'll grind it out and I'll make this work. So here I am nine weeks into grad school. More work than I ever could have imagined. Yeah. But I'm getting it done. You know, I have all A's and B's so far. Knock on wood. It's a two-year program. You know, if I just grind it out and I stay disciplined and do what I need to do every single day. Yeah. I'll be fine. And we're, you know, I'm like fairly, I'm betting on myself, right? Like I'm taking a big you, risk and gamble. You took the words right out of my mouth and you bet on yourself. Bro. Yeah. And I had had that same friend who wrote that, you know, cut Nick out of my life mm -hmm. was the same person that really convinced me to bet on myself and go to grad school. He's uh, like, you're not, circle. he's uh. like, you're not going to fail. He's like, you're going to bet on yourself. There's no chance that you can fail at this. He's like, I know you can do it. Yeah. I'm like, you know what? You're right. So I went ahead and I did it. Oh, and so far shit. everything is going good you know it's a grind for sure but it's yo this is like a phenomenal story man like <laughs> I, I like you know like i'm driving over here i'm, I'm like man what are we gonna talk about today because like frank's like you know nick's got a good story bro and i'm like <laughs> so the whole time i'm driving over here i'm thinking i'm like damn what the hell are we gonna talk about man and as we get like into the conversation i'm like i'm like oh shit like what's next <laughs> yeah. you know yeah and then to, to hear all of that and then for you to get to like where you're at right now, I mean, dude, dude you're blessed, bro. Yeah. Like you really got to sit back and be like, damn, dude, like I'm a blessed individual right now. You found your purpose and your purpose is going to be giving back to others for the same things that you struggle with. I mean, that is the essence of life, like help, helping others become better through your experiences so that they don't have to experience the things that you went through. I've had a lot of fulfilling moments since I've lost my job, I've spoken at events that reps has had. I've spoken at police academies to other cops. I've spoken in rehab inpatient treatment places mm -hmm. to a group of veterans and cops and first responders. You know, so I, I try and share my story as much as I can handle. Cause yeah. there were times like, don't yeah. get me wrong. Like there's been a lot of times where like, we're all this going on. Like I probably cried more times than I could count over what had happened and what I had lost. Yeah. You know, and it took a very long time for me to accept that everything was lost. Mm -hmm. You know, probably six months ago, maybe was yeah. when I, it was finally like when everything finally has like kind of not gone, but really worked through and I'm over everything. Right. Like it has taken a very long time. You know, don't forget like, I live in the same town that I worked in. So yeah. I see guys all the time that I used to work with. Like, you want to talk about triggering. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, it's taken a lot of, like, work to get through everything, right? Um, but to do that, like, I built a very strong support system around me, you know, and that includes guys in recovery, and that includes guys not. That includes cops. That includes guys that are not cops, yeah. you know. So I'm very blessed and fortunate to have, you know, guys that I can call. And Frank is one of them that I, yeah. I can pick up the phone and call them at any time of the night. And I know that they're going to answer and be there for me, you know, and that is like the biggest part of like of my recovery is having that strong support system of people that I trust yeah. to have my back and kind of check me if I need it. Right. 
Damn, bro. So, I mean. Frank. He's my guy over here. Like, Frank, the way we met was uh, we had a mutual friend and was was like, uh, basically told him, like, there's a guy uh, that's kind of doing his thing on social media. Like, you you, you and Jay should link up. And, like, with no hesitations, he hit up. You know, hit me up, and then we had a conversation, and and I, I bought in, man. Like the, what he was talking about, the mission statement of what reps were, um, and I go back to like my friend, right, the guy that I could have helped, the guy that you know because I was scared of the confrontation, I was scared to lose a friend. I ended up, I ultimately lost him because he succumbed, he died, he died to addiction. You know, we lost him, and um, when Frank was talking to me, that just clicked right there. I was like, damn, bro, like. If I could get on board with this guy and we can go out here and we can help people and they don't have to deal with the loss that I had to deal with. They don't have to deal with the grief that I dealt with because they're going to be in a space where they feel safe and they can, they can get some help. And, and Frankie was giving people resources to, to get the help. I said, put me on board. Whatever it is you need from me, we'll get it done. And when I'm telling you, I get people all the time, dude, that reach out to me like via DM, like, oh, dude, like, I love what you guys are doing on reps, man. Like, life-changing stuff and that's that's basically what i get up every day for man like literally just to help people you know what i'm saying and like like i'm sitting here i'm listening to this story man and like the full circle how it comes back we're all sitting at this table you know what i mean and we're all sitting here in good spaces in life because we we've all experienced a, a like a good deal of hurt through like you know the evils of addiction and things like that so i'm blown away bro like this was a moving conversation for me, man. Like I'm, I like I soaked all of that up, man. Because, like I said, I was on the way over here and I had no clue. Frank just told me he got a good story. I was like, all right, cool, man. Like, I'm I'm here for it. And then just to listen, and really like take in everything that you said, man. And like the perseverance, bro. Like, and then and the whole the betting on yourself. That's I mean, straight. that's where it's at, right there, dude. Like, you yeah. know realizing that that other safe situation that you were going to put yourself in might have put you right back where you started and saying, you know what? Nah, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go here because this is this is my purpose, man. Like, you are purpose-driven. That's the first thing I got from you, dude. Like, yeah. from just, just talking to you and, like, as the story starts, I'm like, this guy is a purpose-driven individual. And when he finds his purpose, he's locked in and he knows what he's doing. You know what I'm saying? And then, like, just to hear, like, you making that decision. Because most people would have went that way, dude. Most people would have took the money, the security, or whatever, because they know it. That's what they know. And then you literally went the opposite way. So the one thing that was driving me to go do, like, the iron worker union was the thrill of that job. Yeah. Like, yeah. being standing up on a beam hundreds of feet up in the air. Like, I, thought, like, I like adrenaline yeah. rush. Like, what's going to give you more of an adrenaline rush than that? Right? So, like... I thought that if I had taken that job, it would fill that void. You know, mm-hmm. I'd get my, you know, I'd get my rocks off from that. That's yeah. my adrenaline rush, right? But what I found out from being in grad school is it is so hard and time consuming and you need to be so disciplined. I'm full time. I take five classes in on top of working full time and on top of my other personal responsibilities daily. It takes so much discipline to stay focused and to stay on top of my work and not fall behind that I'm getting like my, my thrill and rush from succeeding from being able to do it, you know, from knowing that like not many people can sit down 
for six hours at a time and bang out schoolwork and stay up until 1 a.m. and then wake up at 5 a.m. to go work yeah. because I have to do it, right? Yeah. I cannot fail. There's no choice. I have to get this done, Yeah. right? So, like, I'm, I've noticed, and I've talked to this about my ther- with my therapist, too, that, like, I enjoy things that are hard. I enjoy challenges, yeah. and this is a challenge that's going to take me two years to complete, uh, and I'm ready for it, you know? And I'm fairly confident. I'm 100% confident that I'm going to kill it, honestly. Right. You know, one thing that... I'm fortunate with, I have this law enforcement spear experience. I have the personal experience, right? Yeah. So you look at people as a whole and everybody's a human being. So like from my personal experience of everything, I'm going to be able to help out individuals who struggle with addiction and substance abuse and mental health. But I got like another, you know, another tool in my belt, that first responder, you know, side. Yeah. Right. Like I've noticed that it with therapists and counselors in the first responder world, you need either need to have like the street credit of a therapist who is not prior law enforcement or you need to be law enforcement. Yeah. So I have that law have enforcement that, yeah, experience, right? That, yep. So I'm going to be able to use that experience and help out guys. That's the first thing a cop's going to say, like, you don't know me. You, you, you know, you never did what I did. You, never, you don't know what I did. Yeah. yeah. You don't know my environment and what I walk into every day. Yeah. Yep. So now that I have that, I'm going to be able to use that and help out guys on the job as well. You know, fucking dope. I see you, 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 you pulled up something there. Oh, what you yeah, got from me, Frankie? Go ahead, man. Pull that up, dude. Like Jay says, the wheels are turning. If you, one is, well, thank you. Much appreciated. And uh, I say thank you for, you know, being a big part of my recovery journey as well and helping me stay stay sober. And, you know, that's what it's all about is building that trust and able to just have someone else listen and and make you feel like, you know, it's like you're not alone because even in recovery, you still get in your own mind, you know, mm-hmm. even if you're not in recovery, right? And when you're talking about the crying and stuff, and I just spoke about this at the Academy on Friday, is that I had to kill, kill, like when you say it like that, I had to kill Frank. I had to kill the old version of Frank. And that took years of therapy, crying, and that's the five stages of grief. And it's not in order of like, this is what's going to happen first, this is going to happen second, third. It, they can come... Order number three can be order number one. I don't have the list in front of me right now. But scientifically proven, there's no time. Everybody is different. And you can never tell someone, oh, it's going to get better, or you'll find someone else, or you'll get another job. No. You just need someone that's actually going to listen to you. Mm. Just listen to you to help you get that out of your system, out of your soul. To say, you know what? That's That's not the real me. That's not the real Nick. So what you had to do was, and a lot of that is anger, resentment, and hate towards yourself for letting that for letting that happen. But when you're able to kill the ego and the super ego, which is very hard to do, and there's a lot of guys and girls that live their whole life and they and they they never have that opportunity, right? The hero journey in the labyrinth, they never make it out. But you did, and it's a it's a powerful, moving thing, uh, story that I'm very happy that you shared. Um, and I wanted to read this quote because this is just perfect of everything that, we, that you just shared. And this is from the, the Tao today. I've had this. This is, I saved this, <clears throat> October 24th, 2018. Shit, okay, let's go. <clears throat> let's see here. The real issue is not whether you will change, but how you will change. Let go of the habit of telling yourself that you are a particular kind of person. It is self, it is self Uh, Give me a second here. 
It is self-perpetuating fiction. The truth to tell yourself instead that you, can, that you can be any kind of person you want to be. Your present personality is an invention and there is nothing to stop you from reinventing yourself. Mm. Powerful. Yeah. That's, that's, that's why I had to bring that up. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's literally... We, uh, we are the, 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 our film director, the script, who's our actors. You know, we, we have the time to pause. I don't like the way that this show is going. Yeah. I don't like this season finale. Let's fucking change it. Who do we got to kill off the show? Yourself. Damn. Yep. You, like, you like that, right? Yeah. That was perfect. Well timed, my man. <laughs> going, going, I have one question, though, about that story. Going back to when they asked you to, to plead down the charges and all that, right? Yeah. Did anyone ever follow through with that out of that group? To uh, flip? Talk, to necessarily yeah. flip? Yeah. Yes. Did they end up getting what they said that they were going to get? Or? They ended up getting, like, the PTI. So after they completed... And I don't really speak to... I don't speak to that person anymore. Um, whatever... However many years they were sentenced to on their PTI, right. once they were done with that, uh, their weapon their record is wiped clean. Whereas like me, so since I just recently completed my probation, I have to wait five years before I can even hire an attorney and go through the expungement process to get it wiped off my record. Whereas that individual, once he's completed, it's done, the record's sealed, it's gone. So like he no longer has to say like on an employment application or like a, a handgun application, like have you ever been arrested? He can now write no on that. Whereas like I obviously cannot. Right, okay. And, and this shows, and we'll just get, we'll get into this a little bit real quick. Uh, again, I, AA has helped me. As you can see right in front of us, the Serenity Prayer is literally staring right in front of us. Um, again, but it's, I'm, we're, myself, not even reps, is like, if AA doesn't work for you, then, you know, let's try to find out what can work for you. And, and for here, like, you've never, like, today, like, you don't really... And you correct me if I'm wrong. You don't go to a lot of AA meetings. Have you ever done the 12 steps? Like, So the only AA meeting that I go to is Bottles and Badges. Uh, I've never been to an in-person AA meeting. However, it is on something that I do want to experience because gotcha. Bottles and Badges does have in-person meetings. So it is something that I do want to experience because it is obviously different than a Zoom meeting. Um, I do not work the 12 steps Exactly. And what I mean by that is what I found out through getting sober is you naturally do the 12 steps, right? Like if you make the decision to get sober, like you admit that your life has become unmanageable, you know, and you're powerless over alcohol, drugs, whatever. That's like the first step, I believe. Step you know? one, yeah. There it is right there. There's step one, you know, you're making amends to, you know, people. You're going to do that through getting sober and being a better person. Um, so no, I don't practice the 12 steps. I haven't gone through them. But like I said, like just through the process of getting sober, you kind of start checking them off one by one. Yeah. You know, in terms of like a sponsor, do I have a set sponsor? No, because I haven't done the 12 steps. But I have a strong support system of people that I can call on who check right. on me, who, you know, hold me accountable, you know, to do the right things every single day. You know, so like, no, I don't work the AA program exactly how it's supposed to. And I tell people like, you don't have to do that. Like, not there's no one straight road. There's no one path to recovery to sobriety. Like, there's so many different avenues that an individual can take. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, I enjoy working out. So, like, I work out a ton now, and like, 
I look, I used to work out a lot, even when I was drinking, drugging, but I was getting my dopamine kick from the alcohol and the drugs. Whereas like now, like my dopamine kick comes from like, from working out, I got that back again. And from the, you know, the process of going through school and everything like that, like that's what gets me going now, you know? So fitness may work for somebody who's trying to get sober. The 12 steps may work. AA getting a sponsor may work. It may not. But the one thing people do need to do is find a support system, find people who you trust that you can talk to and find people that are going to hold you accountable Mm -hmm. because you cannot do it alone. Like you need people in your corner to help you out. Cause there's going to be a lot of shitty days where you think about the past of what you lost and you're going to want to go backwards, you know, but having, being able to pick up the phone and be like, yo, not doing so good. And just have somebody listen to what you're going through makes a world of the difference. And that's why I still engage in therapy now. Like I'm not in therapy because I need relapse intervention. I'm afraid I'm going to relapse on drugs or alcohol. Like I'm in therapy because I trust my therapist and I can go to her and talk to her about whatever I want. I can go to her and cry. Like I spent like multiple sessions, literally spending an hour just crying, trying to talk, but I couldn't talk. Yeah. You know, like I've developed a a very good rapport with my therapist. And it's very important. It's one of like, it's funny going through grad school for this subject. Like, you learn about like different theories of therapy. You learn about like addiction cycles and methods. It's like, as I'm learning about them, I'm like, Oh shit, that's where I fell. Oh, I'm like, Oh, so this is the, like, this is the, this is the, uh, the therapy concept that my therapist used on me uh, during at this time. You know what I mean? It's, it's interesting to go through. Um, but it's all good, man. And like, you know, I have, like I said, she's very good. I trust her, which is, one of the most important things in finding a therapist is finding somebody who you trust and it may be trial and error. You may not find it on the first try. Don't get frustrated. There's plenty of them out there. You know, keep trying. Yeah. Find it. It does make a world of difference, you know, thanks for bringing that up. And I'm like a huge advocate for mental health, like talk therapy. I wanted to bring up the, that part if anyone's listening and people, you know, they get scared of AA or NA. I'm a first responder. I can't walk into the rooms or I can't do any of this. So, if you don't want to, you don't have to. But there's organizations like Reps, we're here to listen, and, and other organizations, or just even reaching out to Jay and talking. Like, it, if you want, to, if you don't want to do it right now, that's great. If maybe in the future you, you you may want to, but it doesn't have to be. Well, I can't do AA, so I'll never get sober. That's why I put that out there. And then I also wanted to speak about it. People, I'm thinking back what we just talked about. Like, obviously, we're not talking about literally here killing yourself because obviously Reps was born out of you know fighting against suicide, that's our number one mission. And myself, you know, being a survivor of, of suicide and having a family member that lost their life to suicide is that we were talking about figuratively here, back when you were the, the, your own screenwriter, is killing off your old version of you, the emotional state, the rebuild to the person you want to be. So I just had to obviously clear that up there. Yeah. And we're good. Good? Yeah, we're good. Well, no, actually, no. You know, one thing I want to say. This is the place, man. We're in the lab. One thing I do want to say is, like, you talked about, like, that fear of, as a cop, walking into, like, an AA meeting. Yeah. You know, asking for help. Like, what are other people going to think? Right? Like, I'm a cop. Like, I'm I'm a cop, and I'm a man. I got this. Like, I don't need help. I can figure this out on my own. Yeah. What I found out when I finally asked for help is nobody gives a fuck that you're asking for help. Most people just want you to get the help. Um, You know, like, yeah. Are there going to be assholes out there that have their their piece to say about you, about whatever? Yeah. That's life. That's life. Yeah. And and they're the minority. 
Mm-hmm. You know, 95, no, fuck that. 99% of the people that I've encountered are supportive of the situation. You know, nobody bats an eye that I go out and don't drink anymore. Yeah. No one cares. It doesn't affect their yeah. life. You know, this is my life. Like, they Absolutely. don't care what I do. Yeah. What do they care if I drink or not? They don't. You and know? Some people are probably jealous that they, you know, like you talk about that word jealousy, right? Part of the seven deadly sins is, man, this guy Nick got sober and look how life, look how good his life is getting better right now. And now you have a full-blown family as well, right? Yeah. So there's a lot going on for you that, you know, now that, you know, your ch- your child will be able to see who the, his father Nick really Real, who he really is without that poison. Being yeah. In there, you know? yeah. I mean, that is like, so he's going to hear the story eventually of what daddy did. Yeah. What daddy, how daddy got in you trouble. play the podcast for him right now as he's growing <laughs> up. In the, uh, you know, he, like he's going to hear the story for him one day when he's old enough to really grasp yeah. it. You know? Yeah. But like when I'm telling that story, like he's still going to be proud of daddy because daddy's still doing his thing and making a difference. Yeah, and he's man. there, you know, he's present for me. Yep. You know, and that, I mean, that's another reason why I picked the the grad school counseling was because like, I want to be there for him as much as possible. I can feel it, man. I can feel it in this room. You know, yeah. like I talking to the people who were iron workers about like, the schedule and whatnot, it would have been very tough to like be present in right. these early stages, especially in these early stages right now, Yeah, um, to be there for him. And every single day that I'm with this kid, like it's a blessing. You know, the time I get to spend with him now, um, there's no bigger motivation than that little dude right now to succeed. Yeah, man. Um, you know, he's one factor, but he's a large factor yeah, yeah. in it. So, yeah, going to make, yeah, gonna make him proud one day. Yeah, man. So, uh, you know, uh, I just want to thank you for sharing your story with us. Uh, this is a great return episode, man. I think this Very is going to be a popular one. I think it's going to be a good one. Um Dude, I'm blown away, man. Uh, like I said, I, I didn't know what to expect <laughs> coming over here. Great way to start man. the weekend, right? Yeah, it's a great way for me to kind of re realign right now, man. I, you, you made me put a lot of things into perspective, man. So I just want to thank you for uh, sharing your story and being our first episode back, bro. Absolutely, man. Happy to be here. Yeah, man. Um, Frank, you got anything in closing? No, I just I just want to thank you again for everything you you, you know you shared today, and it's it's not easy and to everyone who's listening, you know, there's, there's, a, there's, there's always an, another day if, if we let it, right? So just, just think of this episode. If you need anything, please reach out and please don't forget to, to share this, you know, and it doesn't have to be, we know inside the lab, if we go back and look, there's, I don't even know what percent, but maybe even 50% are not even first responders. Yeah. Right? It's just every, I, I said this on the other day too. Everyone has a story. It's just if we're willing to, give our book to someone else and say, hey, read this. You know, we yeah. all have a story. Yeah. It's just, what are we going to do with it? So, Nick, thank you so much, man, uh, for coming on and sharing your strengths, experience, and hope. And uh, a few more questions to wrap up. Let's see if I remember them, Jay. Yeah, yeah, I remember. So, all right, let's see here. If you had two movements in the gym to do for the rest of your life every single day, and you can never, you know, you never get sore, but you only can do these two movements for the rest of your life, what two movements are you doing? Low incline dumbbell press. That's the first. Leg press. This guy's a meathead. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like it. You, you, you're getting the legs and, and the upper body. There you go. Um, 
one meal. Again, don't worry about the calories, the, any of that. One meal to eat every single day for the rest of your life. No health consequences. No health no, consequences, none. Nothing. Oh, God, I'm going to McDonald's. I'm going to get <laughs> the 4C, which is the spicy chicken sandwich deluxe, medium, <laughs> a Coke, uh, a McChicken, no mayonnaise, and a four-piece chicken nugget. Shit. Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> he went in on that one, bro. He was like, this is what I'm getting. <laughs> one person to hang out with. And they could be dead or alive in a room if you just wanted to do a podcast like we just did with anybody. Who would it be? Fuck. That usually stumps people, that question. We added it because someone one time we asked them, like, well, can they be dead? I'm like, well, yeah, why not? If you want to talk to them. Or is even someone you look up to? My grandfather. Really? That's good. The the reason why I say that, so when he passed, like I was in college, I never really appreciated my time with him mm. you know when i was when i was old enough to appreciate when you're younger you, you know it is what it is you hang yeah. out grandpa but when you get older you don't really appreciate the time that you could spend with them until like they're gone yeah yeah yeah. so i think it'd be very cool to go back and hang out with my grandfather and appreciate the time spent that's good that's amazing. that is very good last one after the show i'm like yo i gotta show you something we go underneath the, deck, underneath the deck and I pull up a fucking tarp. It's a time machine. But now since Inside the Lab started, we were able to upgrade our time machine. <laughs> Not only can you go in the past, but you can also go in the future. As a version as Nick you are right now, in this present moment, where would you want to go and hang out? Just in one setting or continue my life from that point? Continue. Ooh, it could yeah. be. It could be like... Roman times, it could be dinosaur times, it could be this forty is, years in the future. Some people yesterday. Might, some people might think this answer is fucked up, but I would go back to my law enforcement career as I am now. Ooh. So I can stay in law enforcement, but have a completely different perspective of what addiction is and what, you know, alcohol can do to a person, first responders, and how you answer, handle that. Bro. And my impact on the first responder community would be huge. That's a powerful answer, bro. That's a great answer, actually. Yeah, I would go back and I would I would still be a cop. I tell people to this day, like, yeah, I miss being a cop. Like I, when I was happy as a cop, I was happy. Yeah. I just couldn't get away from the chaos and destruction. Yeah, you know, like I, I don't. There's no resentment towards the first responder world or anything like that. Like I put myself in that shitty situation. I made those decisions, mm-hmm. and I had to deal with the consequences. Great ownership, Jocko Willings. There it is. Maybe one day, right, Jay? Maybe. (laughs) That'd be great, man. Wow. Well, that's it. We made it through the lab. Minotaur's defeated. Nick, thank you. Absolutely. Until next time, guys, please, please, please share the episode. Let us know what you think. Uh, If any suggestions, please reach out to us. We're here for you. Hell of a day to have a hell of a day. God bless. Have a great day. All right, guys. See you next episode.